0: Well, I actually just have one passage of scripture for you to turn to today, so that's out of character for me, but I believe that it, inside this passage of scripture, we have everything that I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today, and so Acts chapter 6, if you want to put your finger there, he reminded me of a story that I've heard, and I wasn't planning on telling the story today, but I'll tell it anyway. There was a, a First Baptist Church in Dallas that brought in a new preacher, and, and they were excited about this, this is a big deal for a church that size, and they brought in this preacher, and and uh, they were really excited. the The deacons had gone out, and they had listened to several different preachers. They they were just really impressed with this this particular pastor, and they they invited him to come. and He spoke at the church, and um, and they were like, "We've got to call him," and and so they called him, and he became their pastor. and Got up the very first Sunday, and he preached just the most powerful sermon that you could hear, and. And the deacons were just so excited, patting themselves on the back for bringing in this new preacher and what a great job he was going to do and, and how it was really going to change things at the church. And the next Sunday came and he got up and he preached the exact same powerful sermon. And they, they said, well, that was, that was really good again. Thank, thank you, brother. That was, that was fantastic. And they're sitting being a little worried now because they were patting themselves on the back. Now they're worried that they brought in somebody who only has one sermon. And... <clears throat> It's a great sermon it's powerful and I mean it'll convict you it'll challenge you but it was the same one and they thought that that was really great and he came back third Sunday and he preached the exact same sermon again and they thought are you going to talk to him are you going to I mean they're pointing at each other you're the one who invited him you go talk to him you know and trying to figure out how they're going to break the news to him that we can't just have the same sermon every Sunday fourth Sunday came nobody had talked to him and he preached the same sermon again and they're like, okay, somebody's going to have to do it. So they, of course, the chairman of the deacons is sent to talk to the pastor. He's like, hey, pastor, uh, you're, you're doing a great job on that sermon. I, I mean, it's a fantastic sermon. It's really powerful. It really challenges us. And, and, but you got any other ones? I, I mean, are we going to hear the same sermon the whole time that you're here? And the, the pastor said, well, as soon as you start doing what that message was about, then I'll move on to the next topic. Right? So whenever I heard Keetren say that that was because of something he heard in the sermon, I thought, well, that's music to my ears as a pastor, right? <laughs> that somebody would actually hear something and say, hey, let's do something about that. That's great. So I appreciate that. and I mean, it's, it's great to hear new songs and be challenged. I mean, his mercies are new every morning, amen? Why would we see the, sing the same songs over and over again? There's new songs to be sung, and, and I, I enjoy that. I love The songs that I've learned through my years and so I love that we have a mix of songs here and I want us to continue to do that Um, but it's great to hear new songs as well amen amen what a blessing it is so if you have your Bibles you can open to Acts chapter 6 and we're going to be talking about deacons today so my my sermon illustration was not completely off base what is the role of a deacon and I grew up in in a church uh, going to Baptist churches uh, as a kid and I went to a really big one down in Houston whenever I was young. That's where I got saved. and um, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Sagemont Church. But, um, <clears throat> and then I, I've gone to small country churches and, and things like that. I've pastored um, a small Baptist church before. And, and so I grew up in, in that kind of environment. And deacons were always a part of the mix. There, there weren't very often, until I got uh, to college, I, I didn't ever experience a church that had elders, in it. That was not a term that I grew up with. Um, But here at Good Hope Family Fellowship, we're going to be a a church that has both offices of elders and deacons. And so today what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about deacons and and why the church needs deacons. Why the church needs deacons. And we find this passage in Acts chapter 6 as a pretty good illustration of why the church. Needs deacons. So if you're in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation to the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. All right. Let me tell you a little bit more about what's going on here. What, what we see happening in this point in time. That This is early in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. So this is just a little bit of time going by, and, and the church is just getting established. And at this point, everything is pretty much still located right there in Jerusalem. And as they get together, we see passages of scripture in Acts chapter 2, for example, where we know that they're sharing all of their possessions with one another. People are, are selling their property and giving the proceeds to the church so that there wouldn't be anyone with need among them. They were meeting the needs of of people as best they could, and they were all sharing together, and they were amazed at what the Lord was doing. And the apostles are there. These are the the disciples who were with Jesus and following him around, and and they are explaining how Jesus was the Messiah. God is giving them revelation and understanding as they look back over the prophets and the the Old Testament. They're seeing how Christ, how Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ that they had been waiting for. And so, all of this is going on, and and as the church grows, a problem shows up. There's a complaint that comes in. So apparently, they are feeding widows. They've set up some kind of program, some kind of, of ministry where we're going to make sure that the widows are taken care of. We looked at a passage in James where he says, pure religion in the eyes of God is this, that you take care of widows and orphans in their distress, So the early church, without ever having any idea of exactly what they should do, no real instruction necessarily, they say, well, we ought to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. As God has poured out His mercy and grace on us who have nothing to offer Him in return, we need to be taking care of people who have nothing to offer us in return. And so widows and orphans are are being cared for, and there's this complaint that some of the widows seem to be getting overlooked. The Hellenistic Jews versus... The native Hebrew Jews, so these people have a similar religious background, but they have a slightly different cultural background. But they they are complaining because there seems to be an unfairness in the way that this is being handled. Now, does this happen in churches today? You better believe it does. All right, as you're trying to do the work of God, there are going to be times where you're not doing it to the best of your ability. You're not doing it with eyes on every single problem. And there are going to be complaints that show up. What I think is really interesting here, first of all, is that this problem that gets brought up to the apostles is not dismissed. They don't just say, oh, that's not that important. Aren't there more important things for us to be worried about? That's not their response to the problem. In other words, they acknowledge that problem, that shortcoming, that that lack in their system they acknowledge it as something that needs to be addressed and if we're going to be a church that does what we ought to do whenever problems arise whenever complaints come forward we need to be ones that say okay let's see how we can address this and not dismiss it as if it's not important if a complaint arises there needs to be some way to address that complaint and so the the problem was real and the apostles acknowledged it as real. And that's important, I think, even in churches today. The second thing that we see here is that it's affecting the unity of the church. You can see that here in their complaint. It's, it's us versus them. It's, we have the Hellenistic Jews versus the Hebrew Jews, and they are, there is a division among them, and there's some finger pointing back and forth. There's some kind of prejudice at play here, and it has affected the members of the church, and there should not be a break in unity in the, in the fellowship of the church. But this problem that has arisen, this complaint that's come forward, it is something that is affecting the unity. I think that's part of why the apostles recognize it as being an important thing to deal with, not to dismiss it because it's affecting the unity of the church, and that is something that marks us as believers. It was certainly something that was marking These early churchgoers, these early Christians. If you remember, one of the very first signs as the church is forming is that everyone heard the gospel in their own native tongue. What the Holy Spirit was doing was he was proclaiming this is for all of us. This is for everyone. There is a unity that's supposed to happen within the church. And this problem that showed up, it is affecting the unity of the church. And that's a big problem. And there are many problems that still arise in churches today that affect the unity of the church. Where there's a mentality of us versus them. And we need to be doing everything we can to mitigate any of that because we are all united under the banner of Christ's love. And so as we seek to do God's will, we need to be united in that same unity that binds us together. The third thing I think we see is that it's affecting the, the reputation of the church. And while we don't necessarily see it here in the, the first verse, what we see later on is this, that, is that whenever they got the problem settled, it says the word of God kept on spreading. I, I think that there was probably a time here where it was hindering the gospel. And so we need to be, be careful that we recognize that problems within the church will affect our reputation outside the church. And there are many churches today that are suffering that, that history within churches. Listen, complaints are going to rise. Disagreements are going to happen because we are people. There's a, a letter to a, the church at Ephesus that, where Paul writes, uh, we are members one of another. And the very next verse says, therefore be angry and sin not. Listen, if we're members of one another, if we're spending time in close proximity, if we're trying to work together to accomplish goals, there's going to come conflicts. There's going to be times where personalities clash. There's going to be times where, where motives are questioned. There's going to be times where we are not sure we're really on the same page. And what's important is that we fight to make that a unified front so that it doesn't affect the reputation of the church outside of these walls. As people look in, we can actually put hurdles in the way of people coming to the gospel whenever we damage the reputation of the church and so we can see this is a problem that's affecting even the reputation of the church also we see that it's pulling the apostles away from from prayer and their study of the word that's what they they say to them it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of god in order to serve tables In other words, we have a role to play. We have a responsibility to fulfill. And and we don't want to divide our time between that responsibility and this. This is important and we think that it needs to be handled. We understand the complaint and we don't want there to be any kind of discord among us. We want to make sure that we are achieving unity in every way that we can. But there's only so much that we can do. And we are confident that God has called us to the task of studying the Word and praying for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't be being pulled away because it ultimately would hinder the work of the Gospel. And that's what we need to be, as we talked about before, the the whole purpose of the church, the reason that the church is founded is it's founded on the principle that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. The Messiah sent from God in order to take away the sins of the world. And if if that's the foundation on which we are built, that is our mission is to tell the world that that has happened, that Jesus Christ made a way for us to have peace with God. And if anything gets in the way of that, then we need to deal with it and we need to deal with it quickly and wisely as best we can. And so this problem is it's affecting the unity of the church. It's affecting the reputation outside. It's pulling the apostles away from their study and prayer. It is affecting the gospel and the main mission of the church. And they recognize this. And they want to make sure that they're doing everything they can to mitigate it. So the, the problem was real. It affected the unity. It affected the reputation. It pulled the apostles away from their, their work. And it was hindering the gospel And the next thing that we see is this, that the solution was actually pretty simple. He said that the apostles get together and they talk about it and then they approach the congregation. It says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The solution was simple. The apostles just said, listen, we don't think that we need to divide our time among this, so we want you, the congregation, that included the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews, we want you to select seven men who can manage this task without any question of their motives. So you choose for yourselves seven people to take on this role. And what it says is that this statement found approval with the whole congregation. So the congregation said, yes, we think this is a good idea. You know, the, the apostles were, were in a position. God had left them with, with the role of building the church. And, and they had that leadership responsibility on their shoulders, but they were listening to the, the complaints of the people. They recognized there is some need that needs to be addressed. And they took it, and with prayer and with with counsel of the Word of God, they they talked among themselves, and they said, you know what, we think that seven men would be appropriate. How they came to the number seven, I don't know. Right? We see lots of significance with the number seven throughout the, the Scriptures, but they said, seven men, we want you to choose. And the people chose for themselves seven men. And all the congregation was on board with this. By the congregation choosing men of good repute... What they were able to do is they were able to restore unity. All right? You notice one of the men that they mention is a proselyte from Antioch. All right? That word proselyte means he was not born into a Jewish family. This man was not actually Jewish by birth. Instead, this is someone who was born in a pagan family, some family that didn't worship the God of the Hebrews, and now has been brought into that faith and then has yet again been converted to understanding Jesus as the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. In other words, what we see in this list is we see that there is a diversity of people who are brought together to meet the needs of the congregation. And by letting the people choose representatives, people who will be men of good reputation to handle the work, then they can restore unity. Everyone feels heard. Everyone feels like they've got someone on their side in that position, in that role. And so unity is restored. The reputation of the church is also saved. Because in doing the work well, in in making sure that this problem is taken care of within and restoring the unity, that starts to benefit the appearance of the church. They begin to do this ministry well, And the world outside sees that. Taking care of widows is something that doesn't give you any benefit. In this culture, in this day and time, widows have very little to offer. If anything at all. There's another mention of a widow in in the Gospels where Jesus is with his disciples and they're watching people put their offerings into the treasury at the temple. And as they're watching, people are bringing large sums, and then a a widow comes in, and she puts in two mites, which is, it's pennies. And Jesus, looking at what she, she did, he said, this woman has brought more than anyone else. Because everyone else is giving out of their abundance, but she is giving the very last of what she has to live on. Listen, it doesn't make financial sense. It doesn't make good you know, programming sense to say, well, look, we're going to go after widows and we're going to go after orphans because we think that's going to benefit us in some way. You're not going to be able to build a bigger building. You're not going to be able to you know, meet needs of a larger set of people by ministering to those who have nothing to offer you in return except that the Holy Spirit gets involved except that the rest of the world recognizes that your heart is truly in it. And they want to join with you in meeting needs, real needs, without any hope of getting anything in return. And so as they begin to meet these needs and do it well, and they restore the unity, it affects the reputation of the church. We see that because it it says here that the, the Word of God then kept on spreading because they were doing that ministry well it allowed them to reach out in a more productive way it says the apostles uh, excuse me i wrote that the apostles were also able to devote themselves to prayer and study listen the church didn't have the new testament it had not been written They needed to be going through what the the Scriptures had said about the Messiah, and they needed to be able to point people to the fact that the Old Testament had been speaking about Jesus from the very beginning, and that Jesus fit perfectly all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. So that as they went out and as they began to, to tell more people about Jesus, that people would understand that their Scriptures that they had held to for all those years We're pointing to the very person of Jesus. There are still people today that believe that the Messiah is yet to come. There are still people today practicing Judaism who don't think that Jesus was the one who fit the bill. But these early apostles, they needed their time to study the word. To let the spirit guide them to the truth. And they were able to do that more effectively and it, it impacted the ministry of the church. I love the fact that the gospel was advanced by serving widows well. You know, there are a lot of menial tasks that have to take place in a church. There are lots of little things that we think are not that big of a deal. The garbage has to get taken out. The floors need to get swept. We need to get fan blades installed. Those little things, they don't seem like much. But they can have a significant impact. They they can have an effect on the overall ministry of the church. And so by ministering to widows well, the gospel goes out. And I believe the same is true for any aspect within the church. Whenever we handle the things within the church well when we're restoring unity at every chance that we can, when we're protecting the reputation of the church, when we're giving ministers and teachers their, their necessary space to prepare the messages to, to give and deliver to us, whenever we're doing those things well, it affects the ministry of the gospel. It allows the gospel to go out with greater impact. And that's why we see that the number of disciples continue to increase. And a great many of the priests are becoming obedient to the faith. Listen, The reason that's so significant, the the priests were the ones who were the closest to the teachings of the Scripture. Their their very job, their very responsibility depended on knowing the Scripture well. Because God had given them instructions about how to prepare, or how to, to perform the necessary activities of worship for God. They were the ones who held on to those traditions and were trying to bring people back to relationship with God. If you were just a a Jewish fisherman, well, you would just be worried about fishing and you would go to the priest to help you figure out how to worship God. The priest knew the scriptures and you trusted them to instruct you on how to prepare your lamb for sacrifice So that your sins would be covered in in the eyes of God. You trusted the priest as the one who, who held the truth for you. So that you knew that everything was going to be taken care of the right way. And what's happening is as the disciples, the apostles are studying the word. And they're preaching in the temple. These priests are hearing their words. And they're recognizing Jesus was that pure spotless lamb. Jesus, it was His death on the cross that tore the veil from top to bottom, giving us access to the Father. And as the priests are hearing this, let me tell you, that has a huge impact on the Jewish culture. If the one person that you're trusting as the, the one who will provide you the truth that you need to be right with God comes into contact with Jesus and believes that Jesus is the Messiah, that's going to have a tremendous impact on the culture of around the Jewish faith. And it was because they found these seven men to serve as deacons. Now, some of you may have noticed, the word deacon didn't show up in any of those verses. It wasn't a word as an office yet. The word deacon literally means servant, though. And so these men were elected to serve the ministry of the church. They were elected to serve in such a way that it would preserve unity, that it would would improve the reputation of the church, that it would allow the apostles to focus on their ministry of the word and their ministry of prayer. And by electing these men to serve the church, they really were electing deacons, even though they weren't using that term as an office at this point. And I believe that we see here the need for deacons within churches today. I did some, some looking at, at some things that other, um, other churches have seen and, and said and come up with. I'm not trying to figure this out for myself. The scripture is great and it provides us with a lot of wisdom, but we also have lots of others who have gone before us. Others who have who've implemented ideas maybe hit some stumbling blocks and can advise me on, on how we move forward. But one place that I went to is a, a website by uh, Tom Rayner, and, and he's done a lot of work in, in church ministry and that kind of thing. But in his website, they said that deacons are often utilized for four main areas. And so I want to share these with you. These are kind of the main areas that deacons help with, and I see these things in this passage in Acts. One thing is pastoral care and ministry. A lot of churches use deacons, utilize the, the office of deacons for the extension of pastoral care and ministry. What that means is that they are, they are kind of extra appendages for the ministerial staff. As the pastor wants to be available to, to church members for different things, as the church grows, a lot of times they're not able to go and be in locations at the same time. And so often deacons are used to, to go and visit people in their homes or go visit people in the hospital and that kind of thing. And a lot of churches utilize deacons to serve the church well in that way. And also by protect, by doing those things, they protect, like I said, the time that the apostles or, or that the, the, the pastors or the elders need in order to prepare um, messages for the church. Just as we saw the the, these first seven men that were called as deacons, they protected the apostles' time, their ministry. <clears throat> the second thing is they mention is maintaining unity within the church. In other words, deacons are, are a tool, an asset to have where you can kind of hear about things earlier. A lot of times whenever there's arguments or complaints within an organization, it, it it's spread all around before it gets to the people who are responsible for handling the conflict. And by having deacons, you can help to mitigate a lot of that because they can be kind of eyes and ears to hear whenever there's some kind of trouble arising and they can work together to solve and 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 re- resolve any kind of conflict that's going on. And deacons are often used in that way to maintain the unity of the church, just as we see these Seven men are called to re- restore unity among the early church. Uh, the third thing that they mention is that they're often utilized for guest or first impression ministries. So in other words, it's the deacons who are there greeting you as you come in, giving you instructions on you know, where to find coffee or where to find the restrooms. They're there to kind of introduce themselves and introduce you to the church. And they help you get plugged in and, and find the places where you fit in and where you belong Within the church. In, in a lot of ways, these are, are people who are working to maintain the reputation of the church. Now, a lot of times, deacons are used as ambassadors to give a good first impression of the church. And so, they, anytime there's ministry, you have deacons there. Anytime there's some public ministry where you're setting up to sell brisket out here, you would want a deacon there to be the ambassador for the church congregation. Let me tell you about our church. They're the ones who kind of fill in the gaps. as as far as first impressions go, and they're looking for ways to be put a good, a good face forward, a good first impression. And the fourth thing that a lot of churches are using them for is for security and protection. Your your deacon body a lot of times is looked to in, in many churches as serving to make sure in the day and age we live in that when people are coming to church, they can know that there are others watching. And it's, a sad reality that we live in that culture today where, where we have to worry about gun violence, but it, it is an issue. And it's something that, you know, churches need today to make sure. And by serving in that way, they're helping the pastors in meeting the need of feeling safe and secure whenever we come and gather together at church. And, and so in all of these ways, what we see is we see the need for deacons, we see that the early church recognized that there were issues at play that <clears throat> were putting unnecessary strain on the apostles, that they could find seven men of good reputation that they could put in charge of those things so that the church could do ministry well. It would protect the unity of the church. It would re- protect the, the reputation of the church. It would give the uh, the elders, the apostles in this case, the the ministry time that they needed for their part and their role, and it would help the gospel go forth. And and I believe that that's still needed today. Now listen, I didn't feel like we would have time, and I'm right, that we wouldn't have had time to get into the qualifications of deacons. And so next week, that's what we're going to get into. So we're going to look into the qualifications that the scriptures give us for what it means to be a deacon. The the qualification that we see in Acts chapter 6 here is, they say, find men of good reputation. Well, that can mean a lot of different things. But later in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, we find a greater list of qualifications that you look for whenever you're looking for a deacon. And so we're going to be talking about that. And after that, we're going to talk about elders and what role elders have. I'm just kind of curious. I, I know that we are a group of people that come from a varied background. Have any of you been a part of a church where the office of elder was was in place? Anybody? Okay. So it's kind of an unusual thing, and as it was new to me, like I said, whenever I was in college, and um, but there are many churches, many Baptist churches, that are moving to this style of leadership. And so we're going to talk about what the roles are. And, and biblically, there is a, a distinction made between elders and deacons. And we see that Paul, as he went around, he, he appointed elders in the churches as he established these churches. I found this, this quote, again, uh, from a ministry called Nine Marks, and they help with church planning around the world. But they said this, whereas the Bible charges elders with the tasks of teaching and leading the church, the deacon's role is more service-oriented. So if you're looking for that distinction between what is an elder and what is a deacon, the, the distinction is that a, an elder serves more of a, a guidance and a, a teaching role, whereas a deacon is more service-oriented. My, my background and my coming up, what we saw was that deacons served both roles. In my experience, uh, the deacons were both teaching and serving. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But I I think that there is an opportunity for the church to do it well whenever we we put a distinction between where elders are in place and deacons. And honestly, what it will do is it will take some pressure off of me to share the load of pastoring with others in that role of elder. Um, The word pastor and elder are used interchangeably in the scriptures. And so we're going to see what that distinction is and and how we can be more effective, I believe, and better prepared to meet the needs of our community as we establish these positions moving forward. So coming soon is this. We're going to be looking for nominations for deacons, and and we're going to be putting in place people in the roles of deacons and elders as the needs of the church grow and change um, and moving forward. Now, I'm going to use that to make one last plug, and that's this. As we set forth procedures and and policies in this regard, uh, this is going to be something that members of the church decide upon. And so we want you to be a member here. And to be a member, we ask that you come to a member orientation or a a welcome class. And we are trying to get one. We are available to organize one for the next two any of the next few weeks. There's a sign-up list back there for the welcome class. If you're interested in being part of the welcome class, interested in what it means to be a member here, I would love to talk to you about that. And that's going to be a significant part moving forward as we work together to choose elders and deacons within the body. So let me encourage you to be a part of that. But the church needs deacons. If we're going to do ministry well, if we're going to meet the needs that arise, We need people serving in these positions, and I'm excited that we are at this point because we've kind of been figuring things out as we go for a long time, and and that has meant a lot for me of researching and looking up things and, and trying to find out and do the best that I can, which is not very good at all, but I do what I can, and I'm excited to bring in people into positions that can help us do it better. I'm not going to stand here and say that we've done everything perfectly exactly the way I would do it again if we had to do it over. That's not at all the case. And I'm looking forward to bringing in other people who can help us do it better. And and so stick with us. And uh, and, and I hope that you'll consider being a part of the membership here if you're not already and that um, God will use many of you, to help us serve this community well as God's church right here. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can see that by doing ministry well, by calling on people to serve in various respects, sometimes menial tasks, as simple as serving tables, Father, you can use their service to make a greater impact for the gospel. Father, I pray that we would do ministry well here. And Father, as we look to the future and we see that that you are, are stirring things up here, you are giving us opportunity and giving us vision of how to move forward. Father, I know that you are raising up leaders who will step into key positions and help us to do ministry well. So, Father, I pray that we would surrender to you, that we would be willing to move forward in any way that you call us, and that, Father, we would see your hand work through us to do great things for the kingdom of God right here in Scroggins. Lord, we love you. We worship you for being so good to us. And thank you that you have a plan for us, And you are bringing all things together in your timing. For your glory and for your namesake, I pray these things in Jesus' name.